0: Each week I'll share insightful and inspiring birth stories along with advice from leading birth experts, all in the hopes to help you create your own positive birth experience. I'm your host, Sky Waters. Let's dive into today's show. Welcome back everyone! In today's episode, I am so excited to welcome Emma, co-founder of May and Mothers Collective, as she shares her contrasting birth experiences. During her first pregnancy, Emma felt well-prepared for birth, but her experience of prodromal labor sent her on a rollercoaster of emotions. This led to a series of interventions that ended in an emergency caesarean. Without any real understanding why, in the moments that followed that experience, she knew her next birth would be at home. Describing her next pregnancy and birth as a more spiritual than educational journey Emma utilized the knowledge gained from her first birth experience as guidance as she entered the next season of motherhood, feeling more connected to her feminine wisdom than ever before. As this birth began to unfold, she noticed a stark contrast in her pain experience, feeling softer and more in flow with her surges. Emma attributed this new fluidity to her profound trust and deep surrender to the natural unfolding of this birth journey. Today, Emma shares her tips and expertise on supporting health and well-being during pregnancy, birth and postpartum. She opens up about her struggle with depression during hyperemesis gravidarum's overwhelming impact on her life and expresses admiration for her midwife's swift action during a postpartum hemorrhage experience. Enjoy the episode. Beautiful, Emma I am so excited to welcome you on the podcast today thank you so much for being here
1: thank you so much for having me I am so excited to be here and to share my two birth stories
0: so before we jump into your births could you just let the listeners know a little bit about yourself
1: sure so I live in Brisbane um, just on the north side of Brisbane I, I live with my husband Brandon and my two daughters so I've got Elkie who is Nearly three, and we've got Ruby who is just over nine weeks, um, and we have two cats as well. Oh, cute!
0: <laughs> and what are their names? Um,
1: Arlo and Lulu. Oh. What breed? Yeah. Or just, you know, just moggies. They're both um, just ones that like rescue kittens that we've gotten oh, over the years. So, yeah, I am a crazy cat lady, much to my husband's <laughs> dismay. He hates cats. But I said, oh, if no. you're going to marry me, you go in and live with cats your whole life. So <laughs> I love that. And do yours wake you
0: up at night like mine does? Yes.
1: Yeah. It's <laughs> yes. a full-time job, right? Yeah. Actually, I actually had a night last night where Arlo in particular woke me up so many times. And I was like, you are worse than the newborn. <laughs> On right now, Arlo. Totally agree.
0: Yep. And could you share with us what you do for work?
1: I am a clinical nutritionist um, and I own or co own a uh, women's health clinic called Maya Mothers Collective. Uh, and this clinic was founded um, with my friend Mon um, just over two years ago when we first had our babies. Um, and the whole purpose of our clinic is to support the mother. Going through everything from preconception and fertility to um through pregnancy and then through into postpartum and beyond. So um yeah, that's why we we set the clinic up and we offer a range of modalities. So the idea is that, We are almost like a one-stop shop for the mother and her needs um, and really caring for that mother. So Mm. we offer things like um, nutritional medicine, which is what I specialize in. We offer naturopathy. Um, We have two perinatal psychologists. We offer acupuncture, massage, um, scar release work. Um, We have an IBCLC we have we've had kinesiology. We do mothers groups, um, and we have a couple of online programs as well, and an online community. So, yeah, we are just trying to make our mark in the in the space for mums, particularly in that postpartum space. I think it's so needed.
0: Absolutely, I'm so inspired by you and Mon on the daily for the you know beautiful community you've created, not only in person in clinic, but online as well, which is just oh, amazing. Thank you. Thank so you. just for anyone that is interested, you guys also offer Zoom calls. You don't have yeah. to be living in Brisbane.
1: No, we only the only modalities, obviously, for that is like massage and acupuncture, the physical things. But we do offer um, Zoom for everything else, even um, lactation support as well. Our lactation um, consultant does online as well. She also goes to people's houses if they live in Brisbane. But yeah, all of our other services, like we like nutrition, naturopathy. Of that, even psychology, we do offer Zoom, and I personally, my client base is probably 50 50, as in 50% online, um, and interstate, and even overseas. I've got clients in the uk in america in new zealand um so yeah and clients who have traveled over the years i've had some long-term clients for five or six years who have traveled all over the world and i've continued to see them so that's been really really lovely um and yeah the other 50 percent do live in brisbane or locally like at one of the coasts so they can travel um down or up and come come in clinics so yeah we really um try to offer it as as far and wide as we can. (laughs)
0: Yeah, I love that. And you also um, support couples on their fertility journey Mm, as well? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So it's that whole season, right? Like Mm. it's that whole season of, okay, you want to start for like trying for a baby. It's like the whole preconception care. We take a really holistic approach to that. We think it's really important um, to set yourself up physically and mentally um, and spiritually as well. And then we support women through or women and families, I should say, because we also see men in that um, space as well. Um, And then it's so beautiful because I guess as a clinician myself, like I see those couples and families trying for babies and I, you know, and there to support them through that process. I do a lot of work with IVF as well. So, just supporting through that process, supporting the body a lot and mentally too. And then they get pregnant, and then we support them through their whole pregnancy. And then postpartum, we support them. And then now, because we've been open for um, oh, two years. Two, and a f- two years and a few months we've yeah. um, started to see second babies come through or second pregnancies, oh, um, which is so cool. And yeah. also we've got a couple of mums who went to our early mums group with their first baby who now have had their second or they're about to have their second and who want to join for the mothers group for their second, so which is so cool. <laughs> I'm like, oh, that's so cool that you want to come back and experience that all again yeah, um, and make that whole new round of, you know, connections and friends. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, it's so nice to to see that full circle as well, and to see them supported um, yeah. through that whole transition.
0: I just love so much what you and Mona have created. Mm. There is so much power in mothering in community, right? Oh, so powerful, it's so beautiful to see. I will link all of your details in the show notes for anyone interested. So before we jump into your birds, I would love to ask you some questions. Being a nutritionist. Mm. <laughs> um, Obviously, I know that, you know, treatment is very individualized. So um, could you just give some, you know, general advice for women yes. to take away about nutrition, supplements, that kind of thing for this yeah. season of life?
1: Yeah. So we have a really, um, well, our view just for the whole team and our ethos is that pregnancy um, and breastfeeding, but pregnancy requires like it's the most nutritionally demanding time of your entire life, and then breastfeeding on top of that is even more so. But pregnancy, like we need to view it, and this is what we're trying to change culturally. We need to view it as a time where we do need to step up our nutrient stores and step up what is going into the body. So we recommend even three to four months prior, if you if you've got the opportunity. Some people don't, but to start to you know get your um, get your blood test done. Let's see where things are at, and then we supplement based on those pathology results now obviously there's um that's going to be really individual Um, if that doesn't happen then during the pregnancy we do have some women come to us in pregnancy they're already pregnant and we still will push for blood testing to be done because we're very much like tests don't guess for some nutrients that are really really important and there are some nutrients that obviously our body just like gives and gives and gives everything to the baby but then we're, we're so concerned about the mum right so um we want to make sure that she like her mental health and her physical health and her energy um and her mind and everything is okay through the pregnancy because there's, there's a lot of nutrients that will impact that in a negative way if if the mum gives everything to baby and baby's fine but then mum really gets depleted so um overall i would there's a couple of like key ones that i could recommend so a really good quality prenatal is a must for most women um this is you know you can do it diet diet alone but i would say probably like we're talking about 1% of the population would be able to do this and that would be eating things like a lot of organ meats and a lot of um a lot of like really whole food diet and um, a lot of women just aren't doing that or the um, we can't you – know, a lot of women won't, won't be able to afford, say, um, the organic food 100% of the time and all of that. So whilst we can eat as well as possible, the nutrients really are important to come in on top of. Um, well, that's our experience anyway. So a really good quality prenatal, um, we use a couple of brands that are available actually, which I can mention. So um, there's one called Evernatal by The Natal Naturopath. You can buy that online. Um, best is another one that we use, and that's one that you can um, buy online as well. Um, so that's a, as a stock standard, and then we also usually um, say a couple of other ones too. So DHA, which is um, fish oil, which is extremely important for the growth of the baby, but then also like in that in that early early time, really important for the nervous system of the baby. But then also as you go into that third trimester, the the needs um, for baby's brain just increase substantially, and also dha as a you know a nice essential fatty acid is also shown to um, be implicated in rates of maternal depression postpartum so those that don't have enough um they're more likely to have those maternal um, mental health issues so that's really important so that's the one that's constantly overlooked um and then the other one folate obviously is included in that prenatal a really good quality folate that's already included which is why you don't need to supplement that separately um magnesium is another one that's really really important um we find a good quality dose of magnesium for all the pregnancy um complaints you know muscle cramps and stiffness and soreness and that kind of thing it's absolutely safe nervous system regulation and then another big one i guess a couple actually zinc is one that we see um very depleted in most women to be honest um and we need to usually i will test for that one because i really want to get a gauge for where they're sitting, but. and then generally like prescribed based on the test result that comes back. But zinc is super important, not only for fertility, but then yet pregnancy and postpartum too for mood. It's a massive one. Um, You know how mums often will say I'm really um, overstimulated and feeling like, you know, there's like lots of bright lights and noises and things like that. That's, I mean, of course, that can be just because she's her nervous system is quite stretched and she's, you know, sleep-deprived, but zinc can play a big role in that if they're zinc-deficient. So that's really important. And then another big one is um, vitamin D and iron, actually. So, yeah, there's a couple of nutrients there, that are, but th- those are more um, individual based on pathology results, so I would only supplement those if needed. But, yeah, so DHA, magnesium, and your prenatal are probably the big three that I would recommend um, for pregnancy.
0: That was so thorough. Thank you. And do you see a lot of women coming into clinic thinking they have postnatal depression, but it's actually just depletion? Yes. Yeah. Yes.
1: Mm -hmm. (laughs) I am so, so passionate about this topic of just postnatal depletion um, Mm -hmm. because I really do feel it can be um, corrected or even, you know, um, not even become a thing if if during the pregnancy and even prior to that in the preconception um phase things are you know you're on top of your nutrients and everything which is why we're so passionate about that too but yeah definitely on the other side so a woman has given birth um she's lost a lot of nutrients during that stage but also just by growing birthing feeding a baby and then we'll run all of her um her labs, her bloods, and she's deficient in zinc and iron and B12 and her thyroid's off um, due to those deficiencies as well. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's all this huge um, knock-on effect. And then she'll go to a GP who will say, oh, you've got depression, Here's an antidepressant. And that may help. However, it's not really getting to the root cause of, well, why am I feeling this way? And it's actually due to, um, you know, a whole host of things that come in on top of each other. But a big driver is nutrient um, depletion. So, so yeah, we really, I always say to my mums, like, Let's just, you know, we can't help the sleep deprivation. We can't help the big shift and the, you know, the transformation. Obviously, that's a big thing that every woman goes through every single time. However, um, we can help. Let's not make, you know, nutrient depletion one of the things that impacts you on a negative, in a negative way. Let's just make sure that's taken care of. So you can just, you know, just deal with the sleep deprivation and just Mm. focus on being with your baby and becoming who you are and figuring out who you are, you know, in this new version of yourself without the nutrient stuff. Yeah. So So, yeah, super, super common and increasingly common, but hopefully increasingly there's more awareness being raised and it's certainly something um, in our clinic that we focus on. And I've seen so many women go go through their first pregnancy just doing their own thing and then come to me for their second and have com- felt completely different postpartum mm. and I'm so proud of that because I'm like well yes we can make such a big difference um second time round or third time round or whatever if we really pay attention to these things so
0: yeah I love that because it's normalized in today's society to feel that way but it mm. isn't normal right
1: no, it's not. It's It might be common, but it's not normal. So that's the message we're trying to shout from the rooftops. <laughs>
0: yeah, I love that. Okay. So talking about, let's talk now about blood work. When is the right time? Obviously everyone gets their bloods done during their pregnancy, but what about postpartum? When would be a good time for a mother to go and get her bloods done again?
1: Yeah. So we say, um, usually within that six to eight week period postpartum, um, we, I only just had my bloods done the other day. So um, yeah, so we, you know how you see that you usually see your midwife or your GP or whoever your healthcare provider at around that six week mark.
0: Mm-hmm. So that's
1: the time to ask for blood tests. And so This is where we will provide advice to our clients. And I'm sure somewhere on Instagram we have um, a list of bloods to ask for. But yeah, there's a certain list that we would usually ask for um, or ask our clients to ask their doctor. Mm -hmm. Um, And these include things like zinc and B12 and iron and all that kind of thing and thyroid function to see where that's all um, sitting. Um, Otherwise, unfortunately, you know, it depends who you've got as a GP and it depends how much they are aware um, in this space. So if they are super aware of everything, then they will ask for all of these bloods without you having to ask them. However, if you don't ask, I I do find just from experience that a lot of them will just run maybe a full blood count and maybe some iron or something like that. And that's Mm it. Um, Or nothing at all, um, which we talk a lot about in our mothers groups too. And I always say, you know, raise your hand if you've had your bloods done. And, you know, there's only ever out of a group of like 15 or 20 women only a handful um, that have so we're always like okay everyone in this group go and get your bloods done go to a gp we give them the list and then we say and come back to us give us your blood test results we'll interpret them using optimal ranges and then we'll prescribe supplements um based on that um, which is yeah what we do so so yeah it's super helpful but i think from a from a mentality or a mindset point of view i think a lot of mums have to realize like we do have to step it up in that in that breastfeeding um, phase as well, and a lot of mums will stop their with their you know their supplementation and go oh cool I'm not pregnant anymore, but pre- um, breastfeeding is even more nutrient um, nutrient you need more nutrients even when you then when you are pregnant. So mm. actually that is not the time to stop. It's you know the time to stop is when some women will, will stay on them because they'll get pregnant again. <laughs> but the time to stop is like when you are finished breastfeeding and when all your nutrient stores come back and they're, they're amazing and yet breast, you're not, you're not feeding your baby anymore from your body. And if that's in two years, then that's in two years and it's completely fine to be supplementing on top of, you know, a good balanced diet. Um, and that's what a lot of women do honestly need. Mm. So, so yeah, it's just not known about.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So what about caffeine? Because I know that's mm-hmm. a big one for a lot of mothers as well. How much can we consume safely?
1: So pretty similar in both instances, to be honest. Um, but caffeine I it's I, I from the research I believe it's fine, but just In, you know, to certain amounts. So the recommendation is no more than 200 milligrams of caffeine per day, which is the standard. It's about if you have like an espresso, um, say a coffee from your local coffee shop, like a proper espresso um, coffee, then you are looking at a double shot generally. Mm -hmm. Or so if you have a strong coffee, like me, I have a double shot almond flat white. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So for me in pregnancy, I would have just one of those per day and I would not go um, above that in any other forms of caffeine. So I wouldn't have any other caffeinated tea or I never drink soft drink anyway, but, like, just looking at that. um, Or, you know, you could have two single-shot coffees or something um, like that. Then with teas, all teas are a little bit different if they're caffeinated, but looking, like, you can just Google what the equivalent of, say, an English breakfast tea is versus a green tea and all that and just work out, okay, well, how many can I have? under that 200 milligram limit. So yeah, I think it's it's so fine to continue to have that, but just when we're, cause it obviously does, it does cross the placenta. Um, however, in that, um, under that amount has proven to be safe um, and then postpartum, same thing. Um, so we, like, if you're breastfeeding, that is. So we want to try and yeah, limit it to 200 milligrams per day because obviously it does pass through the breast milk as well. Um, and then that baby will just get those effects. Um, and then it will, you know, push up some some hormones like cortisol and adrenaline and things like that. Um, but you know, in pregnancy, a lot of women will go off coffee anyway. Mm. Um, especially in that first, um, the first trimester, if you're feeling a bit under the weather. Um, and then also always say to my clients, like, just really, you know, um, be real with how it actually affects you. Like, how do you feel when you have a coffee? Like some people's metabolism of it, like they feel like they will have a coffee and then they're just bouncing off the walls. And if that's the case and they feel anxious and jittery and wired, then I would say that's probably not a good thing and maybe you need to cut back or you need to just reduce it completely. Whereas, um, for example, myself, like I will have a coffee and be like absolutely fine. Like I could go to sleep (laughs) um, afterwards. So for me, it's like it really doesn't affect me in that way. Therefore, I'm okay to have a coffee per day. Um, But, yeah, everyone's different. What about
0: alcohol? Because I used to have a wine when I was breastfeeding
1: yeah, no, I actually think that um so the rule of thumb here is that um I, I look at it the same as driving, right? So if you're yeah. if you are not okay to drive, then you are not okay to breastfeed is like a, a good way to think about it. And I've definitely had a couple of wines since I've had Ruby um, and breastfed. But I will – so it's not that you – so if you say have – some if you have an event or a wedding or something you have a couple of wines and you maybe go over the limit, you just wouldn't breastfeed at that time. But um, you can – if you do need to express or pump, then, yes, you do need to get rid of that milk, you know, to make sure that you don't become engorged. Mm. But if you can hold on for a couple of hours and go back to being sober again, um, then – you can still like the, the alcohol has actually vanished from your breast milk because breast milk is made from, blood, not not anything else. So think of it like you're, yeah, um, same as when you're driving, like they're looking at your blood alcohol level. It's the same thing as breast breastfeeding. So and also with the breast milk, it doesn't just go straight in, like at the same quantities as your blood alcohol level. It is way, much, much, much more reduced. So yes, it is passing through into baby, but the tiniest amount. Um so if you're yeah, so I say like I'm all like, you know, I'm really I think I'm quite a balanced um, <laughs> practitioner when it comes to this thing these things I'm not really black and white I'm, there's a lot of gray um, so if if having a wine if you feel like having a wine then go for it um, and you feel okay if you're feeling a bit um, woozy then I would say maybe just don't breastfeed at that time wait till you sober up um, and then yeah pump and get rid of it if you need to um, but yeah they're my thoughts on on breastfeeding um, and alcohol.
0: Perfect thank you for that. Now, let's jump into your birds. I'm so excited to get into this. Yeah. Shall we start off with Elkie? How was that whole experience?
1: Yes. Um, so funny. I haven't thought of Elkie's birth in so long, as in like the detail, but yes, I'm gonna just cast my mind back and um and remember it all now as we go. So yes, yeah, she definitely was a planned conception. I at the time I had um oh that's right. There's a there's a whole thing with my breast implants. So I had breast implants in and I was getting quite sick. Um, I was, yeah, I was quite unwell for a few years with chronic fatigue. I had a lot of even mental health stuff going on and I was doing all the things. Um, you know, I was a nutritionist by that time. So I'd done a lot of gut gut detoxing and, um, and all of that and looking at my nutrients. And I just couldn't figure out why I just wasn't... Um, I wasn't where I should be based on what like what I was doing and putting into my body so um I also kept getting sick and I kept getting these funny rashes all the time like my immune system was really struggling so then I I um actually at the same time around that time I actually had a um some tenderness and some lumps around the, my left implant oh, yeah. I'd had them in at that stage by about for about 10 years so I went and got a um an ultrasound and it revealed that there was some fluid leaking on my left side um and they were like oh let's just leave it and then like but if it like we'll scan you again in 6 months and um if it gets worse then yeah you'll probably have to get them out and i did my research and at the time um you know it's there's a there is a um type of breast cancer you can get um from implants quite rare but it is becoming more and more talked about now but the um it's from having those it's a it's def- it's a um yeah 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 those are the
0: ones I have yes so they've recalled them that's what I had yeah okay interesting yeah
1: the lymphatic oh sorry lymphoma yeah so one of the signs one of the first signs of that was a fluid um mm-hmm. leaking and so I thought well no way like this is We were just thinking about trying for Elkie or for our first baby. And I said, well, no way am I, you know, leaving that to risk right now when I've got a symptom um, on top of all of these other mysterious symptoms that I have. So I thought, no, I'm going to bite the board. I'm going to get them out before I have kids, before I breastfeed, before anything because of these you know these things that have popped up for me mm. so I did end up getting them out and it was crazy like um the one that had the fluid the capsule around it was so red raw and really inflamed and then my other one was like the capsule was completely fine like it was wild so there's definitely something going on was um, there anything
0: showing up on your blood tests or no my no.
1: blood's no and that's the thing it's really hard like to figure out like there's not just a blood test to say yes you have uh and yet there's something wrong knew. i knew yeah and um and also cuz i was so i'd done so much work already and i'd done so much testing like so much pathology so much like i'd done wee tests i'd done <laughs> like dried urine tests i'd done the poo test i'd done saliva testing to see hormones like i'd done so many tests um just to see like just all functional stuff that I do, like I do these tests with clients for a living anyway. So I was really aware of like what some of my markers were. But no, there was nothing really stand out from all of those. It was more that um well my immune system was a little bit was definitely struggling a little bit that was probably the only thing but yeah I I just had that feeling that um that little bit of pain and fluid and a couple little lumps around that left um side and that was the thing that prompted me to go and get the scans and things and so I thought nah I'm just going to get them out so I got them out um and then from there I was like okay I'm they're out now it's time to recover to detox my body so that I can get pregnant
0: did you feel a massive difference once they were out yes
1: yeah Yeah, I did yeah so I felt like firstly I felt like I could breathe like it's funny it's like you you hear you hear women say and you're like how what do you mean and then you just when you get it out get them out you're like oh my god yes I do I do feel that so yeah and I just felt um my immune system started to really like I I wasn't sick again essentially (laughs) like I wasn't sick I used to get this rash all the time it was like a viral like immune rash like kind of when my body I felt like it was when my body was fighting something I would get this this viral rash pop up all the time and that Mm. basically did not happen again Um, so it's like my immune, like my immune system was kind of, I see it in the way that my immune system was burdened by having these implants in. And obviously there was something going on with that capsule being inflamed. Um, and my immune system was putting all its resources into fighting that, Mm. um, and to like monitoring that, that it didn't have the resources then to be fighting other things that it should have been. Um, and also it really, Um, took a toll on my energy so I was super um, like I was diagnosed with chronic fatigue um, which now I know wasn't actually chronic fatigue Um, it was to do with all that so Mm. so yeah so I definitely felt a lot better I did a lot of detoxing um, like a lot of saunas and a um kept on doing a lot of movement and a lot of like internal stuff so I was doing a lot of like work with my liver um lymphatic drainage stuff um a lot of gut work um and then just like I was testing nutrient stores and just really really building them up so so yeah I gave myself I said to myself okay I remember getting them out in December so I think it was like just before Christmas in 2019 think um and then I was like okay I'm going to give myself six months to detox and get rid of all this stuff and just feel good then that's when I want to get pregnant and that's exactly what happened um so by I think in June we felt pregnant with Elkie but I must say I said that but I was like still like we weren't not trying like we weren't um what's the word we weren't not trying that time too and we definitely didn't get pregnant within that six months and I was still like oh damn it (laughs) Like, you know, like, oh, God, it's been like, what, is there actually something wrong with us? Like six months, um, even though I'd said, give it six months, you know? So it was like the universe is like, no, you said six months, so we're going to give you six months. Um yeah. So eventually, um, yeah, we did get pregnant. And I also must mention here too, because it's something I see in clinic, I got um my husband's sperm tested as well. Um, during this time to be like, Okay, where where are things at for you? And just to make sure that you've got, you know, your good quality sperm happening and he had good um quality he just didn't have oh sorry he had enough he just didn't the quality of it was a little bit low so I took those results and I then put him on some specific supplements and we started doing a few things um and that was about three months prior to us conceiving as well so it's interesting in that he was on these things for six months and it sorry, three months, and it takes a good three months for sperm to actually respond. Same with eggs mm. to respond to these nutrients and things. So I was like, oh, I wonder if that's a coincidence or not. Um, but when we got when we got pregnant, he was like, Can I stop taking all the supplements? I was like, Yeah, okay. <laughs> but you're gonna have to go back on them for the next pregnancy. He was like, Oh, phew, because he hates taking things. Um so yeah, we got pregnant and I was just um, I was so excited. My my cycle was a little bit longer at that time. Um, and so I actually had just talked myself out of, because it, you know, it had been six months and we'd tried a couple of times but obviously hadn't kind of hit the nail on the head. And um, I was like, oh, no, there's no way I can be pregnant. So I just completely put it out of my mind and was like, "Nah, I'm just going to focus on me and focus on our relationship for a little while and it will just happen when it's meant to happen. So I was like in complete denial that I was uh, that I could be pregnant. I was just like, oh, yeah, my cycle is just long. And then it got to day like, I don't know, 50 or something, and I was like, oh, this is ridiculous. So I was like, my cycle cycle's never been this long. But I was like, no, it's just my body doing a weird thing. Like, I'll just go to Coles and get some pregnancy tests anyway. Didn't even tell Brandon. Did a a test and it, like, came up the two lines, like, immediately. Like, it was just, like, so, so um, clear. And I just like almost fainted i was like oh my god like because i honestly pushed it out of my mind that much that i could be pregnant um so then yeah i went out and showed brandon he was yeah in disbelief as well so yeah very much a wanted pregnancy um and we did a lot of things to kind of get there but still at the same time it surprised us when we did um, (laughs) test positive
0: (laughs) i love that (laughs) So, what was your model of care choice at that time? Do you want to take us through that part of your journey?
1: So, well, back then I didn't really know. Like, I just remember thinking, "What now? Like, what? Like, I don't even know what to do. What model? Like, I hadn't done any research into what model of care I wanted." Um,
0: What was your perception of birth at that stage, as well?
1: Look, I, I, I felt like I wasn't afraid of birth, even though my mum had had three C sections, and that's all I heard. Like growing up like it's all I heard I had a c-section I had I had to have three c-sections with you but I never funnily enough I never kind of took that on as my own belief I was like oh yeah cool I'm still gonna try for a natural birth and like I think I'm a bit of a like oh yeah let's go you know like (laughs) oh let's like really give this a crack so I um I still yeah I didn't I didn't embody that belief at all. I wanted to still have a natural birth, but in terms of the care providers, I um, I remember going to my GP and asking her, and she said, "Okay, well, I'll refer you to the hospital," but there was no real talk of um of like do you want to go MGP or do you want to, you know, like what kind of care do you want within the hospital? Mm. Um, So then by the time I figured out that there was like an MGP and there was also a birth centre, I'd kind of gone in and tried to change my request but um, the hospital, it was just too late. And also I don't know what happened as well. The hospital was um, they just didn't get back to me for so long like I had no idea what model of care I was in until I eventually went to my first appointment at about, I don't know, 18 weeks or something. So um, I ended up having GP shared care, which obviously is just like the default option. So where you just get, you know, any old midwife at the hospital for half the appointments and then the other half of the appointments was with your GP. Um, and luckily enough for me, I did like, I like I really liked my GP. She was um, not just a random GP, like I had um, seen her for a few years by then and she was she was quite good. So I was like, oh, yeah, this is okay then. Like I'm happy to go to her. She was quite experienced, um, so I'm happy to go to her. And she's, I guess, that little bit of continuity. But, yeah, just had um – just random midwives. I didn't have the same midwife twice, I don't think, in the care there at the hospital. Um, And so we decided to get a doula so that like to try and bridge that gap. So the more I kind of read into it, and this was probably more about the halfway mark, um, we ended up getting like a doula that would attend the birth as well. So that was handy in that she was our, you know, she was our continuity of care on the day because I wanted to make sure that there was somewhere someone there that knew us and could advocate knowing that it was a hospital birth I knew that much that I wanted someone to advocate for us if we couldn't um so yeah that was that was quite good but just rewinding a little bit in terms of the pregnancy and the symptoms I did have HG um for both my pregnancies actually yeah yeah but for the first one with Elkie it lasted probably until 16 16 18 weeks or so um but in that time and I'm so grateful and thankful that it didn't last the whole pregnancy because I know that definitely happens for a lot of women but um for me it yeah it it did dissipate, but it was horrific during the time. Like I'm talking, I ha- I was in hospital numerous times. I was medicated, like max dose medication. I was in bed, so I had to I had to um, miss so much work, which I just felt I felt horrible for at the time because like my, my work is appointment based, so it's all, you know, I had to reschedule people or cancel on them, and it was just, um, yeah, it was really. I really hated that and I hated letting people down. Mm -hmm. Um, But at the same time, I just couldn't do anything about it. Like I was just so sick and bedridden. Like like I was probably vomiting like 10 times a day most days. Um, Even with meds, um, I was still vomiting a little bit. But, um, yeah, the meds, like they would – some days they would reduce the vomiting um, a little bit, but then you would still feel so nauseous. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it was it was quite hard. I remember thinking, oh my goodness, I just had no idea that this like could be this hard and this debilitating. Mm. But I also was, I guess, um, I wasn't stressed about my body and not eating much. Like I lost weight, um, and then when, what I was eating was just you know beige stuff. Yeah um as a nutritionist I was like no actually I feel okay about this because I know that my nutrient stores were really good prior to pregnancy because I had done so much work um in in that so I felt confident and I guess that was my saving grace so that I didn't have as much work to do to build back up once that that passed Mm -hmm. so um so yeah it was a horrible time but then I did end up coming out of it which I was so thankful for and the rest of the pregnancy was honestly absolutely fine there was no no issues I had no um no risk factors, nothing, nothing happened. I just, yeah, just kept on growing my baby. And I didn't do the, um, glucose tolerance test because I didn't want to. (laughs) Um, and I told my, and I knew enough then I, I told my GP that I wasn't doing it. And she was like, oh, okay, well, um, uh, yeah, I'll have to see what the OB says at the hospital. And then I ha- I kind of said, well, be- you know, this is my fasting glucose and this is my HbA1c and there's literally no evidence that I have it. Like I wasn't just going in blind being like, no, nah, I don't think I have it. just based on a feeling. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I kind of presented the evidence to them and they were like, oh, yeah, okay, that's fine. So I didn't end up doing it and I obviously didn't do it the second time around either. Um, so, so yeah, I was I felt like my first pregnancy I was getting, like I – was researching and getting to know a fair bit about you know um, the system and you know what you can and can't do or or what to ask for, what not you know all that kind of thing. Um, so so yeah, I ended up um, doing all of that. Uh, and then yeah, as I said, midway through we met with a doula who then came and visited us every few weeks. Um, and we got to know her. And she got to know us. Um, and yeah, it was it was pretty straightforward to be honest.
0: And what about resources? Was there anything in particular that you found useful in the lead up?
1: Yeah, we did a little bit of hypnobirthing. I say a little bit okay. because um, I don't think we finished the course because it was run by <laughs> um, actually one of Mon's friends, um, Opie. She was doing her accreditation in it and she was like, oh, I'll do, I'll do it with you guys. But then things happened and we didn't end up finishing it um, And also, Brandon was so not on board with it. He was just like, I don't want to do this. Like, he was just so resistant. And I was like, are you joking? Like, you have no idea about birth. (laughs) Like, he's like, I'll be right on the day. You know, I'll just know what to do. I'm like, no, you won't. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So that was quite hard to, like, get him on board. And he did, yeah, he came to, like, I think we maybe did three out of the five sessions, um, but I did a lot of reading. Um, I listened to a lot of podcasts. I listened to yours. I listened to just a lot of birth podcasts and, um, yeah, a lot of reading. So I can't, what, what did I read? Um, I read Rhea Dempsey's um, book, With um, Birth of Confidence, which I love. That was probably my favourite. Yeah. Um, I read um, Sarah Buckley. I read, um, oh, what else did I read? Um, Rachel Reed, like I read all the books that I would, all the good ones. Like, so I, yeah, I knew, so I really was informed based on all of their, um, like I love probably Rachel Reed is probably my favorite birth person, (laughs) Um, so I read all of her stuff. I was deep in, in, into her blog and her podcast and her, you know, all of her things. So Mm. I really educated myself a lot on physiological childbirth and like what, you know, I really knew a lot about by the end of it. I Mm. felt like I knew a lot about, um, interventions and you know, what I really wanted, um, for the birth. So, um, yeah, I felt quite confident going into it.
0: Mm. So let's jump to the end of your pregnancy now. Take us to those last few days. How were you feeling?
1: I felt really good. So I finished work at thirty six weeks. Um, I, I physically I was fine. Like I I um I didn't have any pain. I didn't have any aches or pains or back pain or anything. Which was so looking back, I was like, wow, I really just felt absolutely fine. Um, I felt so. I finished work at thirty six weeks, and then I had about. The, until 37 weeks I just felt I was like just in in a nesting mode so I was like super like energetic in terms of like just getting everything ready um and I just I, f- I feel like I just really waited until I finished work and then kind of finished tied up all those loose ends and then was able to focus on okay now I can get everything ready for the baby and pack my bag and do all the things um and then at 37 and three I had an extremely energetic day. I was like, oh, my God, I'm, like, on fire. I, I basically did all my food prep in that one day. I think I made about 25 meals. <laughs> like, wow, I'm not even joking. It's 25. Like, I made all these different meals for my postpartum and, like, I was on my feet all day and I just was like, oh, yeah. And I also lost a bit of my mucus plug on that day. And I remember it coming out a bit. It wasn't bloodstained or anything but, like, a little bit of a jelly-like substance. And I was like, oh. interesting but I also knew that oh it could be weeks away and I was only 37 like just over 37 weeks um but yeah so then I yeah I just felt I felt really good um but yeah then the next day, 37 and 4 I woke up and I had some mild um like period like menstrual cramping which I was like oh this is different I had never had I hadn't had any of that yet in the pregnancy and I I had had some Braxton Hicks, but they were very, like, I didn't realise they were Braxton Hicks until way down the track Um, because they were very, like, they felt very odd to me. Like, they weren't, they were just a tightening, like, no pain or anything. And I thought, oh, this is not Braxton Hicks. It's definitely something. Um, And so they started coming in waves. So I was 37 and 4, and I remember... I was going to meet the girls, my work friends in the city for breakfast. And so I got in the car and I remember just like, I don't know, every 10 minutes or so I would get this like like little crampy feeling. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. I also felt like she had really dropped down um, in my pelvis because I remember parking like ages away in the city and walking to the breakfast spot. And I, th- I remember feeling like, uh, like her head was between my legs. Like I remember feeling like, whoa. She feels really low today. Um, But, yeah, so that just basically kept on happening all day. So there was no break in those, um, like, waves of that cramping. And it it started to get, like, maybe the teeniest bit more intense, but it was very, very manageable. And so I thought, oh, what's this? Like, is it just, is it pre-labour? Is my body just doing, like, a false labour thing? Like, you know, it's not really, like, progressing hugely, but it's not going away either. So that happened all day. And then I remember, um, you know, Birth Time the documentary, that's when yeah. that that came out. And I went to, it was actually the second time that I'd um, seen it. I'd saw it in the Brisbane, like, premiere screening and then I took a couple of friends to another screening just at a cinema. And I remember it was that that Wednesday night that it was on. And I remember, like, texting them saying, oh, I think I might be in, like, really early or pre-Labour, but I'm still coming. Like, I'll just pack some towels in case my waters break <laughs> i love it (laughs) and all throughout the throughout the documentary like i was like i was in the best spot like if i was to go into like proper labor there because i was probably surrounded by like 100 midwives um but i remember i was like throughout the documentary i was like oh like getting a bit like having to breathe a bit deeper like throughout and i was like oh okay i think this is like getting a little bit more intense but you know what better way than to be sitting here watching birth time like love Mm. it um and then I went. I got home and it was all fine. And then it started to cre- um, to creep up a little bit more. And so as the night progressed, it just kept on getting a little bit more intense. And I guess they were like, I don't know, probably ranging from five to ten minutes apart. And by that stage, I'd timed a couple of them, and they were forty-five to sixty seconds in length. Um, and I was starting to have to really breathe through them, so they felt like proper contractions and so I I think I went to sleep for a couple of hours but then I just really it got to the point where I just couldn't kind of sleep through them like I was just too um uncomfortable so I got up and I was thinking oh okay this might this might be it um and so I was probably I probably yeah probably slept for two or three hours that night and then I was out just by myself like my husband was sleeping I didn't want to wake him um I was out in the living room and I'd set up the space and had candles and I was on my fit ball and I had the cats with me and I just set up a really comfy spot and just, you know, had my music playing and just kind of, yeah, worked through them. And then it came to about 6am or 5 or 6am and the, um like when the daylight started to come up and they started to fizzle out and so they had actually built to intensity to probably maybe they probably got to about 4 minutes apart or something like that um and then yeah they just but they just never really moved like shifted gear like into that next level then they just like decreased and they just went backwards um, and but they never went away they just went to maybe they spaced out to maybe like 10 10 minutes and then during the course of the day they maybe went to like 15 minutes apart so they just went back to kind of what they were the day before Mm. so i was like oh that's weird and i was like texting my doula the whole time telling her she's like oh yeah this can happen in first-time mums like you you know you might actually have a few days of this um it's it feels quite intense at the time but you know and when that oxytocin is quite high Especially in in the middle of the night when your melatonin is quite high, that's when they'll they'll peak. And then when your cortisol starts to kick back in when the sun comes up, that's when they might drop off again. So basically, that happened. That was a Wednesday night. That happened same thing Thursday night. So exactly the same. It was probably a little bit more intense, but it's same thing. I could only had about two or three hours sleep. And then so um, then on the Friday, I was like, this is pretty. I was thinking this is pretty intense. Like I, I was also feeling quite nauseous um, and so I couldn't really keep a lot of things down. I was, um, I was trying to just have like toast and things and like even a bit of juice to give me some energy but I just kept like vomiting it up. So I I really wasn't eating or drinking a lot, which in hindsight, I wish I'd tried a bit harder. Um, But I just didn't feel very good at all. And also mentally, I just felt like it really threw me because I just never anticipated. I think that was the biggest thing. Like I never anticipated that my labour would potentially start like this or I would have anything like this happen. Like I just thought, oh, my labour will start, it'll progress pretty quickly and like then it will be on. Um, So it really just like through me and I just think it's so funny with birth like it just shows you what you need to like it just like it shows you what you need to learn um all kind of goes well I'm you know you think that you can control this well think again (laughs) um so so yeah basically that happened on the Friday um I had my acupuncturist come over and he did some acupuncture work um, and stimulation to try and really kick labor off into like proper active labor But yeah, so it just, it just didn't really really get there and so the Friday night same thing but by that stage it was like they were like two minutes apart and I thought surely this is the third night my body's done so much work and surely this is it like I'm going to like kick off into active labor and it really got to the point where I was like yep like it probably three or four a.m. I thought yeah I think this is it like I think it started to feel quite intense and then at about five it started to decrease again I was like nah and by that stage I was just a mental like emotional wreck I was like what is happening here why isn't this like kicking off I don't understand um and so at that stage I decided to go into the hospital to just check that everything was okay because I I was like I haven't done this before I don't know if this is normal or not um and I don't know like I just didn't have I guess the trust in my body that it was doing what it needed to do and that it was that everything was fine um so I went to hospital and I met we met our doula there and they checked me and I was almost five centimeters they were like oh you're like about four to five centimeters dilated, you're fully effaced and thinned out, so you're literally on the cusp of going into active labor. Um, but they said, like, your body's been doing all this good work, so that you know you haven't been doing all this for nothing, which is really, really good. But you you have a choice. You can either be like, come into birth suite now and actually, you know, um, come in, but you'll be on the clock if that happens, or you can go home and that good old go home, take a what do they say? Take a panadol and a like sleeping tablet and see if you can get some rest. And so I went home, tried to get some rest, couldn't. Um, and then it ended up going, nah, I just like by that stage, they'd completely backed off again to about 10, 10 minutes apart. And I just was like, nah, I just need to like, and I was exhausted as well. Like I think I'd had probably six or seven hours sleep over the, like over the previous three days mm. in total. And I was just like, nah, I'm over this. I just need to go in and just, you know, be at the place that I'm going to give birth and, um, see what they, see what they say. Like maybe they can break my waters or something like that. Um, and so I went back in and I was exactly the same. I was about, about five centimeters. Um, and I, they discussed, okay, what do you want us to do? Like, what do you want to do? Do you want to just wait? Do you want to break your waters? And I opted to have my waters broken, um, just because I was extremely, yeah, just over it. Um, and so I, (laughs) they broke my waters and I, um, I went into active labour straight away. So that was like the, the thing that kicked it all off. Um, and so I was just labouring in the birth suite um, just with Brandon, just um, on the bed, like not on the bed, against the bed and things. And then I went into the shower and probably spent about four hours in the shower and Brandon had the, um, he had both of the shower heads holding them on my back because I had really bad back labour and she ended up being that she was posterior. Mm. So extremely, extremely, um, painful to the point where I remember thinking like, I think I'm going to die. Like I, I I honestly, like my pain was that bad that I thought like my pelvis was going to shatter. And I thought, am I going to make it through this? Like I actually don't know. Mm -hmm. Um, and also I was just so dehydrated as well. Like they didn't put a drip. They didn't give me a drip or anything, but, um, I'm actually surprised they didn't because I was so dehydrated. I couldn't really keep anything down. And I, um, Yeah. I was spasming. Like my muscles were spasming. My back was spasming constantly. My muscles just, they were on the entire time. So part of my brain was like, Emma, you need to relax. Like, you know what you need to do to actually get this baby to move and to actually, you know, embrace these contractions and get the oxytocin flowing that like one part of my brain knew that the other part of my brain was like, you can't relax. Like it's almost like my body was like involuntarily tensing up Mm. during contractions, but also between contractions too. So it was just extremely painful and obviously like I know now that you know when you are tensed up like your um the way that you experience pain is so much worse so I was dehydrated fully tensing up um and just so so sore and and um yeah not in a good state at all I remember coming out of the shower and they would they wanted to check me again and I just remember thinking they put this warm towel around me I was just like oh my god I just can't like I just don't think I can do this anymore. So they checked me and I was almost, I think I was seven centimetres or almost eight. So again, I was was like making, you know, in quotations, like good progress. Um, But at that time, a midwife says to me, oh, you still have a few more hours at least. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And that one comment literally derailed my entire mindset. So not that I had a like a good foundation anyway at that point. But I was exhausted and I was like, I cannot do this for another few hours. I was probably like, you know, nearing transition, but I didn't realise it at the time. And I was like, nah, I need the epidural. Like I need to have the epidural. I can't keep doing this, especially if it's gonna be a few hours. And so, um, they went off to get the anaesthetist Um, in the meantime though, my doors said, Oh well, you know, remember you don't you don't you didn't really want an epidural, but do you want to try the gas? And I tried the gas. I didn't even really want to try it. I tried it. It made me feel sick. And I literally had a tantrum on the bed. I was like screaming, like, get it off me. I don't want to try it. I just want the epidural. Like a full tanty. Um, and I was like, oh, that's where we transitioned. Like I was literally like that whole, I couldn't, I feel like I couldn't do it. I was like really lashing out, like mm. swearing at her, like my door. <laughs> I was like, whoops. <laughs> um, and then finally they got the, I got the epidural and we, um, it took a long time to work so they they fiddled around for so long it didn't they tried they put it in it didn't work at all i still felt everything and so by the time it actually worked i reckon it was probably another 3 hours had gone past and so like like that midwife said it was at least another few hours but i had gotten there myself and yeah. i still had no pain relief um i don't know what like in terms of dilation how dilated i was at that stage but eventually they got it in and it worked they checked me and i was like 10 centimetres. So I essentially got to 10 centimetres, which is such a shame um, that that all happened the way that happened, but it is my, it is just the story. Um, So I got to 10 centimetres and they were like, okay, let's just wait now that you, you know, you're not in pain anymore. Let's just, you know, have a bit of a rest, wait for the baby to descend a bit. And so they um, – so we waited. I was like, oh, I'm so sorry for, like, lashing out at you to my midwife – oh, sorry, to the midwife and to the doula and to my husband. I was like, wow. And then, um, then yeah, they came in and they are like, okay, cool, let's start pushing. So we started pushing. And probably about 45 minutes into pushing, I started to feel um, really unwell. So I I got, like, a really bad headache in in the front of my head, like my forehead, and I was like, oh, no, I can't. I don't think I can go on anymore. Um, Like it was a real, like – this is a dangerous type pain that i was feeling and i also started like peeing blood as well because i had a catheter in um and that they started to see some blood come through my urine and i also spiked like a 40 degree temperature as well so all of those can be side effects from the epidural but um lp also started to go into distress they tried to see how far up she was and she was still way too far up to even like have an instrumental delivery so they're like we can't even like suction her out or like st. gold anyway but they were like, we, she's too far up, like she's actually stuck. And then they realised she was posterior but she was also brow-facing. So literally her heart, her head was tilted up like um – So she was almost looking up at the, like, up at the sky instead of having her chin to her chest, which is what babies should be, Mm -hmm. which is probably the reason why this whole thing had happened in terms of positioning and why my labour had been so long to start with, Um, as in, like, the whole pre-labour, early labour period had been so long, I think, because of her positioning. Mm -hmm. Um, Not the posterior, but probably the brow presentation. Mm -hmm. Um, And so... They were like, look, she's going into distress. Your body's gone into distress. Like your body's literally exhausted. Um, so we we have to go to a C-section. And by that stage, I was like, that's absolutely fine. By that stage, it was Sunday morning. So I had gone into pre-labour, remember, on a, on a Wednesday morning. And by this stage, it was Sunday morning. And I'd had, had like no sleep and mm. it was just a shell of a human. And I was like, that is fine. I don't, I don't care anymore. Like, we just yeah. need to do what we need to do to get her out. So, yeah, ended up having a C-section and um, she was born. She was completely fine. Um, but, yeah, she was completely posterior and her, yeah, um, confirmed brow presentation. Um, but, yeah, there was nothing nothing that like every, the C-section went completely fine, no obstacles or anything there. I was just really exhausted for a while after that. Um, and I remember feeling really sore <laughs> the next day like I'd done a workout because I was just you know, having, having that many different positions and all that. So, so yeah, that's essentially how Elkie came into the world.
0: Yeah. Okay. And so after that birth experience, um, take us through what you did differently the second time
1: around. So second birth, I did a lot of things differently. So as soon as I birthed Elkie, I was like, nah, like, literally, the day, like the Sunday, I remember thinking, nah, after all that, and even my tired state, I was like, I'm having a home birth next time. I don't know what it was that it like, but there was like something within me that was like, you're having a home birth, and you actually, like, that's that's just it, that's final. Yeah. And so, from the day that I gave birth to her, and I said to Brandon in the hospital, we're having a home birth next time, I don't care what happens, like, that's what's happening, I just know it in my soul. And he was like, okay, whatever, like, <laughs> you know. Um, so then, you know, as I recovered um and kind of went through motherhood with Elke, I was like, Okay, for the next pregnancy, whenever that is, I started researching like what I was going to do. And I knew straight away, like who I was going to go with and who I was going to contact and how early it needed to be. And started kind of envisaging it and manifesting that whole, um, uh, home birth for the second baby. And yeah, it was just this weird thing that I just knew deep, deep, deep down that it was, that was happening and almost like nothing could stop it. So that's what I did. Um, probably differently. Um, the biggest, the biggest thing, from the get-go the and and in that in that time too like I did a lot more research into what had happened and tried to make sense of my experience of the birth of Elkie um and I kind of went back and had some debriefs and even then when I got pregnant with Ruby so um obviously who I just gave birth to she when I met with um Mayette who was my midwife um we had a debrief on my experience with Elkie and she was like, you know, you, you've actually been through a lot um, and she really just validated um, everything that I'd gone through. But she also, like, we also went through and was like, okay, the positioning was a big deal and maybe, uh, who knows, like you you can look back and say, you know, I could have done this differently, I could have done that differently, but there was a few things there that I was like, actually... If I had, have like, done, if I had, have, you know, done a bit more positioning stuff, who knows what would have happened? Like, why was she in that brow-facing position? <laughs> um, so, so yeah, so care providers were completely different. So I had um, Mayette and Meg from It Takes a Village, engaged them straight away. Actually, I had a miscarriage before I got pregnant with Ruby. Oh, um, I'm so sorry, I didn't know that. That's okay. It was it was um, about, I was only six weeks, but it was still quite hard mentally and, oh. That had happened, you um, know, in, in December I'd miscarried and I had already engaged them and so then I had to tell them the news and they were like, okay, well, we'll see you again soon. Like, you know, let us know what, um, you know, when you get pregnant again. So then we fell pregnant literally the next time that we tried, which was Feb. So now we're, yeah, we're in this year now. So um, we fell pregnant in like November. That ended in December just before Christmas and then um, January, we didn't try at all because I was just trying to get my body to have a cycle and just kind of get back to its normal rhythm. And then, yeah, we tried in Feb and hit the nail on the head and got pregnant again straight away. And um, yeah, and it was I had a, um, I had the same symptoms in terms of the HG. I had that happen again, which rocked me to my core. It was even worse this time round. Um, But I guess this time around I knew that it hopefully wouldn't last, but I knew also like just that, yeah, it wasn't – even if it did last the whole pregnancy, I just knew that it was not going to be forever. Mm. And I knew that I got a baby at the end of it, so it kind of like helped it. But really, really um, it made – it was really, really tough. And it was even tougher this time around. I must just mention my mental health. Um, I really spiralled probably at about nine or ten weeks. I probably – I got into looking back now and actually at the time I kind of realised as well, but I was in a deep dark depression at that time yeah, okay. because of my, um, because of the HG. And I think I want to, like, I do want to just mention this because it's ext- like for anyone else going through it, I I was so depressed. Like I just felt like I couldn't get through the day. I, oh yeah, I was having really, really dark thoughts and um just crying constantly all the time and just you know obviously I was vomiting so much and feeling just so horrible physically but mentally like the mental side was worse I would say like the mental side like I would go through the physical symptoms of HG again 10 times over then experiencing that that um mental like depressive episode and I had had I've had depression in the past I've had depressive episodes um throughout my teenage years and early adulthood so I had experiences before and I knew I was like wow I'm I'm in a depressive episode like this is horrific um and so to the point where I went to my GP and she did some like she did a um screening and I was like ex- like coming back up back on the screening as like yeah like severe depression yeah. So um, I kind of just held on for a little bit there and thinking, okay, I know this is probably hormonally driven, it's like situational, I've got HG, I've got all the things. I know why this is happening Mm -hmm. but it didn't make it feel any less hard Um, but I kind of just held on and it did start to dissipate probably around 13-ish weeks, the depression, and then the um, HG side of things started to dissipate around 20 weeks. Um, The rest of the pregnancy was fine. So um, I did less um I guess less learning this time because I'd done so much learning and like I I basically knew like everything that I not everything obviously I'm not that much of an expert but I felt like I knew a lot about physiological birth and all of the things that I need to do to kind of set myself up mm-hmm. for that so
0: and you've also got you know Megan Mayette to chat with if there's anything that comes up oh, you know
1: absolutely yeah and it's like we just spoke the same language right so it was just like it was just such a i just loved going to the appointments cuz like may and i were just yeah they could easily have gone for like 2 3 hours if we want if we let them but we were like okay we we need to stop and then when brandon would come he'd be like oh my god wrap it up <laughs> he's like stop it so easy to do
0: that hey um so was there any fears that you had to unpack in the lead up to this birth particularly in relation to your birth with Elkie
1: yeah so it was like it was weird because I had this deep knowing that I was so capable and strong and able to birth um and had this home birth experience like I knew that there was an experience like this waiting for me but I did definitely have to go through um some fears about like what if the same thing happens as last time. Really, for me, it was it was all about okay, what if the baby gets stuck? And it's interesting when I get to that part of the birth story, like what this birth taught me about myself in that respect. But yeah, I was like, what if they? What if they get stuck again? Um, what if you know I have to like yeah, it's just a failure to progress essentially, mm. um, and I'm not able to like actually birth her out um, of my vagina the way that I want to. But I did I was doing a lot of work, like I did a lot of um I did like journaling, I was doing meditations, um, a lot of breath work I did. I did a lot of physical work in terms of like releasing and really trying to relax and release my body rather than like really focusing on breath and um really good big diaphragmatic breathing and really connecting in with my pelvic floor and really doing a lot of visualization, like, because I knew that when I birthed Elkie, I was so tense. And I knew that in order to birth this baby, I needed to relax and open and really let it, like, let it, let it just engulf me and and be okay with it. And so, like, knowing that I felt like I was going to die with Elkie, I knew that if I could relax that I wouldn't feel that way. I just knew that I wouldn't like, it would be a different pain experience. So I just focused a lot on that. And I, um, so I was getting regular like body work done. I went, I saw an osteo who was amazing at like balancing everything. I saw um, a pelvic floor physio who took a look at my pelvic floor and said like, yeah, it's actually pretty tight. Um, so I worked really hard at like just reducing that tightness and just like letting it all relax and really checking in with it all the time and making sure that was not switched on, which a lot of women have that all the time. Um, so I did a lot of that. I did acupuncture, of course, because by this time I had my clinic. So I had regular acupuncture. I had regular remedial massage, um, the nutrition side of things. Obviously I was on top of, um, so, yeah, I just felt like I was doing a lot more, I guess, probably positioning things because that was my story the first time. So I was really trying to make sure that and, again, knowing also that I could try and do all these things and it could just turn out in a way that she does get stuck or or she is in a position or whatever um, that isn't, like, conducive. And that's still going to be okay, you know. Like I was kind of like had the mentality of like you can't control birth and you can't control what happens but you can control what you can control. And so it was almost like this real subtle like control what you can, do what feels good for you and don't force things. Like just be really – yeah, just be present and be mindful and work on how you feel um, and it will take care of itself. So it was almost like this push and pull of like I didn't want to force anything too much um, but at the same time I was trying to be like empowered and do the things that felt good for me at the time. So I, I did all of that um, and obviously a lot of chats with um, Mayette and Meg as well around, around all of this as well. And, you know, for Brandon, I also must mention it was actually, um, for him deciding on a home birth, like it wasn't much of a discussion in ter- like we did, we obviously had a lot of discussions about it and it took him a long time to get on board. Um, because I think he was holding probably a lot of trauma, like, and he probably won't listen to this, but (laughs) he was probably holding a lot of trauma from um, the first birth in terms of like he saw me just obviously just really in a state and everything that happened. And when we first discussed home birth when I first felt pregnant, he was like, why would you want that? Like what if, you know, what if all the things, like what if this, what if that, what if you die, what if baby dies? Like why would we do that? And I said to him like, like, I was trying to educate him. He watched the birth time documentary, which was really, really helpful. He's not a reader, so I couldn't be like, hey, read this, read this research, read this article. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had to try and, like, I guess, communicate to him, like, why I felt like being at home was going to be the safest option for me because deep down to my core, I knew that's where I felt safest. I knew it's where I felt most relaxed. I knew I could create an environment that was beautiful soft safe warm everything that I needed to give birth in the way that I wanted to give birth and to have the experience that I knew was there for me and I also knew was there for him but um I also had to say to him like Brandon you know me like I'm a researcher I'm not silly I'm not stupid I'm smart Mm -hmm. you know that I'm very analytical when it comes to these things and why would I ever want to choose a birthing option that would put myself or our baby in danger and when I, when I said that to him, he was like, oh, true. He's like, you're not just trying to like chasing this birth experience no matter what happens to you or the baby. Like you actually do believe it's the best. And I was like, I actually do. Like I actually think it's the safest. I think that there's, you know, I'm low risk. Obviously, I'm a VBAC. Um, but to be honest, the, the, the scar and the um, the risk of rupturing was nowhere near my thoughts at any time like it just was not it just was not a thing like because I know the research behind it I know the stats and they're just so negligible like obviously it's a possibility but I just did not it just didn't really come into my sphere of thinking about birth um so yeah so it took Brandon a long time to probably like until the halfway point of the pregnancy and like Mayette also had to work on him and with him to really like unpack some stuff and be like, what are you, you know, what are you holding on to from the birth previously? And we did a lot of work there. And I think that um, like whilst it was uncomfortable for him, he ended up, which as I knew he would, he ended up like really loving the experience and, the, and like through everything that happened, he actually said, I'm so glad we did that. So I knew that would happen, but it really did take him a long time to get on board just because he didn't He didn't really understand. Like, he he didn't understand the system either. He didn't understand any of the things that I so deeply understood and and work in every day. Um, So, yeah, I just wanted to mention that because I think that that might be something that maybe other women will come across as well. And I just think, like, um, if that happens, like, it's... And I also think, like, you are the birth... Like, yes, it does have to be a discussion. Like, this is my personal opinion. It has to be a discussion between you. But I just think a woman should never... It's her birth and her body and I think she should never say okay like and just like bow down and say okay let's go to the hospital because you don't feel safe whereas that's where I want to like I just don't think that should ever happen like a woman needs to stand in her power and say I want to birth what I want to birth and if you're going to drag me down like don't be there (laughs) like that's I feel very strongly about that um but I was kind of like well this is what's happening type thing like you need to get on board type situation, like had to have some tough love there. Um, but he, he really honestly did. So, so yeah, we did do a lot of work there. Um, and then we didn't do any like hypnobirthing or anything this time. Um, as, as I said, I didn't really read a lot of like books about birth in terms of like how it happened physiologically. I felt like I had a really good handle on that. It was more the spiritual side of birth that I was really deeply involved um, in, and so, um, I read. Um, I read a few things. What um, Jane Hardwick Collins was my Collins was probably my favourite there with her, her musings, ten yeah, ten moons, and just like all of her stuff about birth. Like I just love the way that she approaches it, and I really like felt like I really softened into her all of her teachings and all of. All of that side, like, like the real feminine side of things, and birthing is women's business, and mm-hmm. like, and really sinking into that power of, like, yeah, like just that, that, like, knowing that it's a, it's a rite of passage, and it's a, and it's something that I just wanted to experience. Um, so I really just felt so called to to and really connect in with the baby as much as possible. Like every night, I would um, connect in, do a meditation, do some breath work. Um, so yeah, I just felt in a very, very different headspace, and also I just felt like my, I guess, my energy, like energetically, I felt very different mm. um, this time round as opposed to the time, like the first time round, where I probably was more like all about facts and, and like I don't know, obviously didn't have that um, that experience in my belt. But this time I was kind of like letting it be, but also doing what I could. But you know, bit of a bit of everything. Mm. Trusting. Yeah trusting, I, I I had a deep trust. That's mm-hmm. right.
0: And not just, you know, I've read all the books, so now I trust it because there's such a difference. It's like that real you you've unpacked your fears, you you deeply and innately have trusted trust in it, and yourself. so powerful. it was like
1: this power, it was like this power force mm-hmm. that I just knew like I just knew it in I can't I can't describe it in any other way. Like it was just this trust. And even though, if i'd written down on paper like on paper it looked like like why the hell would i trust birth when i'd had the experience i experienced like with that emergency c section happening and um but i just like it didn't make cognitive sense but i just knew it deep within me the other thing i did was i had a um mother's blessing which was just the most beautiful Ritual that I'm so 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 happy that I had, rather than a um, baby shower, mm-hmm. and so that's another thing I did differently. And it was all about bringing together my village and sitting in sitting in ritual in a circle and really putting out the intention for the birth, the intention for the postpartum and having my village also witness that. So um, oh, it was so beautiful. And it was a day I will never, ever forget. Um, and I, and the energy within that circle of women was just so powerful and potent. And it was just like I'm getting goosebumps like talking about it. Like it just was something else. And Elkie was there as well and she so um, we did a sound bowl meditation to start with and Elki like it really, um, she had a big emotional release. So for about, for like five minutes or so, she really just like uh, released all these emotions and was just crying. But I just knew that she just had to stay in my arm and just get it all out. Mm-hmm. And it was so powerful and everyone just stopped and we just all sat there and held space for her while she did that. And it's like she knew Um that something was coming and she, she was almost like needing to make space for it or makes, you know, I don't know. It was just like the most powerful um, thing that happened, but, but yeah, it was such a beautiful day. So that was another big thing that I, I did differently. Mm,
0: I love that. So let's jump into her birth. How was that experience and how were you feeling in the lead up? Did you get any prodromal labor this time?
1: No. So um, I No, I didn't. Not in the same way. I definitely had like some menstrual cramps here and there, but they were just little twinges. So it wasn't like the, like the waves of like contractions like I felt the first time. Um, So I had actually (laughs) my body. It's funny I didn't mention that Elkie was born. Well, she was born on thirty eight weeks on the oh, dot okay. so like you know a full two weeks before I reached that 40 week mark but I thought okay it's going to be interesting to see like what gestation I get to this time not that I really I don't care mm. but I just like I wonder what will happen and funnily enough I like at about oh it was like 36 and a half weeks I was getting menstrual cramps. I was like that's fine but my mucus plug started coming away I'm texting Mayette going um is this my mucus plug and sending her phone she's like hmm looks like it she's like please just get to 37 weeks (laughs) I was like I was like yeah that would be good because I also had um just fit wrapped up work at 36 weeks and then we had like a few things on after that like we had um, our second birthday for the business and we launched our online membership and all these things um in that 37th week and so I was like oh my god no I'm not ready like and so that kind of pushed me to go like oh I actually need to get ready for this baby like I was ready like emotionally and all that but it was more so like all the physical things like I need to get Elkie's clothes out and wash them for this baby (laughs) I need to like you know actually like okay I need to buy nappies you know like just these things obviously it would have it would have been fine but it just kind of was like oh this baby could be here quite soon it kind of just pushed me it jolted me Mm. um anyway and then I just kept on losing bit by bit of my mucus plug and then um so I ended up going to labor on the Thursday night, and it was thirty. I was thirty-eight and three. <laughs> so again, it was quite early. Um, but on that Monday, I started losing a lot more of my mucus plug, and I started getting like a bloody show with it as well. So every night, I would like text May and be like, "Oh, have some blood this time." And she was like, "Oh, labor is definitely imminent." Mm. Um, and I just felt like just I just felt like it was like it was happening any day. So kind of. All week, my body just kept on losing more blood, more mucus. Um, And then on the Thursday night, I was just, you know, doing my nightly stretching and releasing and I was on my ball and opening my hips and doing all the things and um, went to bed. And then at about midnight, I woke up and started getting menstrual cramps again. But I just knew like straight away, I woke up and I was in that real sleepy day and I just thought, this is it. And I just knew, I don't know. I just was like, it could have it could have you know easily been what I had experienced last time, but I just knew, nah, this is labor. Mm. Um and so I just was like, no, nah, that's fine. I'm just gonna keep sleeping as much as I can because <laughs> I I'd, I'd learned a thing or two. Um, so I just slept, slept through until about five am and I got up and my um my mum was here because she came. My mum came down, she lived at the coast and so she would come down every Wednesday to be with Elkie and to mind her and my my nana had just passed actually, my dad's mum, and her funeral was on the Friday and so mum was like, okay, well, I'm going to come Wednesday, stay until Friday and go to the funeral. And I was like, okay, that's fine. Um, the other thing that was funny that I need to mention was that Mayette the third November the third which ended up being Ruby's birthday that was the one day and night that Mayette couldn't do because oh. <laughs> she oh, no. she was away okay. but she couldn't like you know get out of it so um, she was like like weeks before that she was like just tell your baby please don't come on the third if you want me there tell your baby don't come on the third And I was like I reckon she's going to come on the third Like I have this feeling and sure enough She was coming on the 3rd. So um, I woke up and I was like, yep, I'm in labour. Like I know I'm in just early labour. And so I text May at like 6am and I was like, guess what? (laughs) I was like, I think I'm in (laughs) labour. She was like, oh, my God. And she called me. She was like, I'm so... Pissed because I really want to be there. She's like, she's like, I know that you're going to be fine without me. She's like, you are so fine. Like this is all you. She's like, this is more a selfish reason that I want to, I want to see you birth. And I'm so, I was so excited. And I'm, I've just got FOMO. Mm-hmm. Um, And I was like, yeah. And I said, you know, it's so sad that you're not going to be there. But I also feel like, whilst yeah, it is so sad that you won't be there. I also feel okay about it. Like I'm not like, oh my God, I need you to be there for me to birth. Like I was I was like, this is me. Like no one can do this but me. So I'm I'm so okay. And so Meg then stepped up and was my came to be my first midwife and Emma, one of their other midwives came and she was my second midwife. Um which was totally fine. And I love Meg. Um, and I loved Emma as well. I hadn't met Emma before but I loved Meg um, and just had from the get-go, from when I met her, I just felt really um, connected to her. So I was like, oh, that's so fine. Um, It's a shame, but it's fine. And I just felt like nothing could throw me. Like I just felt like it was all just um, like playing out as it was meant to, even though these things weren't like, you know, I guess um, whoever, I just felt whoever was going to be there was going to be there and that's the way that it was meant to be. Um, So and the other thing was that my, so Elkie, we had a plan that her, she was going to go with my, husband's um uh parents but they had they were like every any day but this weekend (laughs) because they were down in melbourne for something um and of course so they weren't here but mum was here and she wasn't meant to be here so it kind of all worked out that like mum was there but she wasn't meant to be there and funnily enough mum had um actually uh sat in on our 34 week birth planning meeting where both May and Meg, Meg came over and we sat and talked like for a couple of hours about everything and went through everything. And mum was there because she just happened to be there with Elkie that day. And she sat there and was a part of it, even though she wasn't intending to be there on the day. But it was funny how it worked out because she actually knew the plan because she'd been at that meeting just coincidentally and then she ended up being there on the day as well, which oh, was nice. just um, funny. So yeah, um, So, yeah, anyway, so I was, yeah, just labouring away um Brandon went off to work for a little bit um mum took Elkie out for the morning and I just said I just want to be by myself and just set up the space like I just it was just early labor so it was completely manageable I just kept on moving and I just set up the space at home um so I just you know had the candles had the lights had the um aromatherapy and put my playlist on and all that and just, like, made the space beautiful. And it was an overcast day, so it was just, like, such a nice day to give birth, I felt. Like, it was just a beautiful, um, even though it was November and obviously could have been really hot, it was just, like, just such a nice, like, cosy type of day. Um, So, yeah, I did all that and then mum and Elkie came home and Elkie went down for a nap and I started to, I guess, progress into a bit more of a, um, I guess, intense labour Um and then probably around two or three PM, Mum Mum and Elkie went off to the funeral, which obviously I couldn't attend. Um, which is a a shame. But I had called my dad and said, Oh, I'm in labor. I can't come to the funeral, which ordinarily I wouldn't have done. But he was like, Oh my God, who have you told? And he's like, Can I tell everyone? I was like, No, I don't want you to tell everyone (laughs) that I'm at labor. I'm in labor at home. Like Anyway, what happened? He went to the funeral, told his entire family that I was in labor at home having a home birth, <laughs> and they were also conservative, and they were like, "Oh my god, is it safe?" Oh no. Blah blah blah. Like to poor mum who was there, and I, so she had to field all that. I didn't, I didn't have to do any of it, but um, yeah, so that was funny. But yeah, so then was laboring around two or three, I reckon. I reached, I probably kicked up a gear into probably more active labor um what I felt like it just really intensified um and so I put the tens machine on and that's something different I I didn't have a tens machine the first time I don't know why um but so this time I definitely did and that was just amazing um and I just was really active the whole time and I was just so I was going through whatever I I was assuming whatever position I was feeling like I needed to be in so I was just trying to really um get out of my head and just go into my body and just go, what do I, like, where do I need to be in space right now? Mm -hmm. So I was funnily enough doing heaps of lunges and doing heaps of um, squats. And um, I was like putting, having a contraction, and putting like my leg up on the bath and like doing all these things, which I feel like really helped her kind of move down in my pelvis. Um, And then at about five, p.m um oh sorry about 3 p.m i had asked our photographer to come because i thought oh i don't know how long this is gonna be because i don't like obviously my first label was quite long but i don't know second time round, it could be a lot quicker so i asked um anita our photographer to come over and get me before i was like completely in labor land um so she came over about 3 p.m and then probably about five i said to Brennan, oh i think it's probably time to fill up the pool now um, things are getting a little bit more intense, but again, like so manageable. Mm. (laughs) Like I was, it was just so weird. It was like, I, it was intense, but it was also just, I was breathing. I was so relaxed. I was moving. I was doing whatever I felt like what I needed to do. And I just like, I was so capable and I just felt like nothing could throw me. I just felt like it was, I was just, it was a dream. Like it was just, it was, I can't, again, I can't even put it into words, Um, and I was, I, funnily enough, I didn't think that I would do this, but I actually checked myself, my own cervix a couple of times during the labor, um, just more out of curiosity. And around that, um, 3 PM mark, I checked my cervix and I would have been probably eight or nine centimeters dilated. Um, and I could feel my, um, waters bulging and I could feel her head with my finger. So I knew that she, like I definitely knew I was in active labour and I definitely knew she was coming um, but I was so, I was just gobsmacked at how easy it was. Like I was just like how is this so, like just, yeah, flowing so easily and, and like she's, I can nearly feel her entire head, like it was crazy. Anyway, so, yeah, Brandon filled up the pool and then we called, um, I think I, I think we spoke to Mayette, it gets pretty um Uh, what's the word, hazy at this point, but I think we spoke to Mayette and then she called Meg to come um, around that 5pm mark and Meg got to ours I think at around 6. So she comes and she um, just, you know, does the things, has a feel, has a listen to baby's heartbeat and just, you know, that's pretty much it, just watches me. Um, And then she says to me, oh, I'm going to call the second midwife Emma And I was thinking, hang on, I know that they only call the second midwife when a baby's about to be born. And I was like, I don't feel like a baby's about to be born. I feel like this is way too easy. Mm -hmm. But she, like afterwards I'd spoken to her and she said that, you know, the purple line that can come um, above the, yeah, above your bum um, crack, Mm -hmm. (laughs) she said that my purple line was like full. So she was like, I, and I was probably fully dilated but I still was like knew in my heart and soul that it hadn't kicked up to the intensity it needed to. And I was like, hmm, this is funny. Um, so anyway, she calls Emma and I'm like, that's fine, whatever. So she calls Emma and I don't know what time she arrived, maybe like 7, 730 this whole time I'd been in the water. And so I was like, no, I think I feel like I'm just kind of stalling. Like I feel like my labour has just, it's definitely not going backwards. I'm definitely in active labour and I can feel, and I checked again I could feel she was in the exact same position. And I was like, oh, okay, I'm I'm just going to go into the bathroom. So I ended up going between the bathroom, the toilet and the birth pool. Um, And on the toilet, I had some really good contractions because being on that position and in the position of, of just sitting there and then I had the squatty potty stool as well to have my legs elevated and I had some really good contractions there um but I was just like oh you know something's something's like it's it's just stalling a bit and I started to get into my head about it um and Meg comes in and she's like what's going on she's like is there anything worrying you at the moment you're doing really well but is there anything like that you want to verbalize and I was like well, the only thing that's worrying me is that like what if she's stuck? Like what if it's the same as Elkie's birth and what if she's stuck and she's her chin's in the way and she's not chin to chest like she should be and blah, 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 you know. And Meg's like, okay, well, if that's the case, from my experience, let's just see if we can maybe do some like spinning babies moves and um, get into – like, let's get you into the bedroom and just like relax a little bit and give and give you some time because I think that's all you really need and we just need to relax and just give you give some time and in these situations usually baby will just work their way down. So I'm like, okay. So we went into the bedroom. I went on. Um, they put a puppy pad thing down and I put an adult nappy on and. I what then happened just still blows my mind so I got into a a um, all fours position on the bed and Meg then got um, a massage oil and she started massaging my lower back and my glutes and it was the best massage I have ever had in my entire life like I was like this is absolute heaven she's like i want you to stay in this all four position um for three contractions and funnily enough my contractions went from being two minutes apart for hours and hours and hours they were two to three minutes apart to about 10 minutes apart so when i got into the bed everything just relaxed my contractions backed off and keep in mind i had been pretty much from the first contraction which happened at midnight this was now at about 9 p.m so i'd been in labor for quite a while. Um, and so my contractions kind of petered off to about 10 minutes apart. That was still pretty full on when they came, but I noticed that there was a big, a lot more time in between. So I went three contractions that way and then I went on to my side and then they swapped and, and Meg went out and had something to eat and Emma came in and lay next to me on the bed as I was lying. Brandon was lying facing me. We were holding hands and Brandon and I were dozing. So we were dozing between contractions. Like that's how relaxed we were. Emma was massaging my back and our cat Arlo was on the end of the bed, just completely at home and just on his back, just thinking it was his bed still. (laughs) And I have the funniest photo of that exact situation. Um, But yeah, so we, we, um, we sat like that for maybe half an hour and I sat maybe for three or four contractions um, in that position. And then once that had happened, I just felt so relaxed and I was like, What I do now, Emma, and she goes, oh, you can do whatever you want. She goes, you can go back to, you can stay here and keep on having a bit of a snooze. You can go back to the pool. You can go onto the toilet. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to get up. I feel like that's really just re-energized me. And I said, I'm going to go and go back on the toilet. I went to the toilet sat on that toilet and I had four back-to-back contractions that were full on they just intensified so much and it's like that relax like that half an hour rest and rest and be thankful which is what they call that phase of labor um before you enter transition, that just completely gave me like a new lease on life. It allowed my body to rest. Mm. Um and it allowed my body to and my baby to move to what it what she needed to be. And obviously there was a section of my pelvis where she might have been a bit like, oh yes, yeah, it's a bit harder. But everything she just moved on down, moved on down. I had those four massive contractions on the toilet. And um Meg comes in, she goes, Wow that's, that's in um, intensified, hasn't it? And I'm like, yep. But I was so happy. Like I was like, oh my God, I am so ecstatic. Like things are progressing. Like I was just like, it was like, it was in in my head. It was like, I was going in this direction of Elkie's birth and then we rested. And then I, my body was like, no, I know how to do this. Remember? Like leave it to me um and so then I I went back into the pool I also actually Meg gave me some apple to eat so she's like give me um give me give a bit of energy have a bit of apple So I had this cold sliced apple that she fed to me um and then I went back in the pool and it was on and it was so funny the energy of the whole house shifted so it was like mum was there by that stage Brandon was there um Meg and Emma were there and Anita, my photographer, were there. So there were five people there and everyone was just giving me my space and it was just such a beautiful environment. Like I didn't ever feel like I was being watched or that I had to hurry up or pressured or anything. Like everyone was just like super like mindful of me, but they were all in the kitchen. Like they had, they ordered pizza and they were eating pizza and laughing and it was just such a beautiful, relaxed environment. And I was just doing my thing. Like I was going back and forth and – um Yeah, it was just really, really lovely. And so I just felt so safe and supported and held. Um, But then, like, it was like this energy of, like, just watch and just, just like leave Emma do her thing. And then once I got back in the pool and everyone heard me cause my, everything changed in terms of my vocalization, everyone was like, oh, and the energy I just felt changed to this excited energy, like a baby was coming mm-hmm. <laughs> and it just spurred me on as well. Like it just made me feel like I hadn't been laboring for hours and I was just like, I had, I was not tired at all. I was like, oh my God, I feel so happy. And so obviously I went through transition but I didn't feel that fear I felt like I was just yeah so um so able and so confident and so I um and then I got back in the pool Emma came up and gave me a spoonful of honey she's like you're gonna need that you you might need this just for the next dot." she didn't say that but she was just like here's the next little bit that um here's some quick energy for you and then um yeah, I just and then I felt I, I um, had another feel and she had dropped and she, her head was right there and, and the waters were basically bulging like right at the entrance basically of, to my vagina um, and so that also spurred me on. I remember feeling and then looking up at Meg, I was in the water and I looked up at her and I was like, oh my God, she's dropped right down and her head's right there. <laughs> <laughs> she was like laughing and I was like, oh my God, I'm so happy. Um, and so like literally it was like waters were just like bulging there. And I was just like, and then from then I was just like, yep, this is, this is happening. Like I'm so, I just ecstatic. I couldn't believe it. And then, um, yeah, I just had a, like, I don't know what time this was at that stage, but I felt like from that point onwards, like it really was not very long. So um, basically got back in and then I had some really, really intense contractions and some of them were like kind of leading into each other a little bit. Um, And then I, so basically felt her waters and her head right there. Another couple contractions later, she was fully crowning and then she, her head went back up a little bit, but again, like because I knew that was normal, I was like, oh yeah, cool. Like her head like she's stretching me. Like mm. <laughs> like my mind was like, oh yeah. And I wasn't like annoyed or frustrated or worried about that at all. And then she crowned and pretty quickly after that her head popped out. And then the contraction that had that happen then kind of started to die off. But then it almost picked up again immediately. So it almost was like a double double peak or double headed contraction. Like it just came again and I thought and like um Meg and Emma go oh just you know just slow down like let her stretch your perineum and I just got this second wind of this contraction I was like nah fuck this (laughs) (laughs) and I just pushed and her whole Mm. body came out so between her head and her body coming it was probably like five to ten seconds so she basically shot out um, like super quickly. And she didn't spend much time at all molding her head. So she came out and her head was completely round. (laughs) Like it hadn't molded at all because she had obviously spent a lot of time in my like mid pelvis. And then she hadn't like spent a lot of time, but she was just ready to come. Um, and my mum was watching from afar and she was like, she, was just her retelling it was is just the funniest thing when she says oh my god you just shot that kid out like a rocket and she <laughs> she goes emma i saw your face and she was like i could tell that you were like nah fuck this, i'm gonna get her, get her out
0: oh i love it so
1: funny anyway so yeah she shot out i caught her and i was just like yeah it was just beyond my wildest strains um which was pretty crazy yeah it was it was pretty phenomenal um so yeah, so it was it was pretty wild and then I um I I sat there for a little while and I guess I wanted to I know I'm conscious of the time right now but I do need to tell this the part that happened after which you don't know yet paid um sky I don't think I've told you but um so afterwards I sat there and I started to get really bad um contractions like after birth pains And I was, like, I knew that that would happen and, like, you know, being second time, but I was, like, oh, this really just, like, threw me. Like, it was, like, they were quite intense, like, and I was, like, oh, okay, and I was just sitting there. And I don't know how long it was after, like, but it was pretty soon and Meg was, like, oh. I could see in her eyes. She was, like, oh, that's interesting that that's so intense. So I was sitting there and it was my placenta was still in and then I got these contractions and then all of a sudden all these, I started to release all this stuff and I was like, what is that? Because it's not my placenta. I just knew it wasn't my placenta because it wasn't big enough, but it literally felt like, this is the funniest way to describe it, but like fanny farts. (laughs) It was like, I was like, what is that? And I looked down and it was clots. It was like, it turned out to be 800 grams of blood clots had just escaped out of me. And, Emma and Meg's face was just like, oh my God, what is that? Like they weren't, they were never like thrown in any way, but I could just tell that they just went, right, our job is like not over yet type thing. And they just like got into action. So I, they're like, all right, we need to get you out. We need to get your placenta out. And I I knew like, okay, this is not like, I, I feel like I'm bleeding a fair bit. So I need to really like act. So I got, I stood up and I stood up and got out of the pool. And I just gushed a heap of blood, um, and then they're like, "Okay, you've had you've lost a little bit of blood. Let's get you lying down." And then Meg was like, "I need to give you the um, injection." And I obviously wanted a physiological labour, but because she knew exactly what I wanted, and I knew she knew what she was doing. I knew that if she was telling me that I had that, like she needed to give me the injection, I was like, that's absolutely fine. Like you do what you need to do. So she gave, gave that to me. And then within like four minutes, my placenta came out My and she was like really, really watching it. My placenta was like ginormous. It was like, it had an extra lobe on it. So it was not round. It had like this full extra lobe and the surface area that it would have been taking up was, inc- would have been crazy. Um, so she, as soon as she gave me the injection and the placenta was out, she then monitored, her and Emma monitored me and I was fine. So I didn't lose any more blood for that, like, for a little while. But they were like, look, we think that you've lost probably 1.5 litres of blood. And I was like, okay, they're like, that, it's a fair bit, but, you know, um, it's, you know, this stuff happens all the time. We don't know why, but, like, you know, we're just going to continue to watch you. So I just sat there for about an hour and a half and I was fine. I was like, yeah, cool, like I felt ecstatic, you know, um, I felt really fine within myself. I had like an Anzac Vicky. I was like talking, laughing, joking. Ruby was on me and she was like, um, she did the breast crawl and she was sucking, like she was suckling at my, um, at my breasts. And then I switched her over and it was just like a beautiful time and then Emma and Meg um sorry, yeah Emma and um Meg came and they were like okay we're going to start to um so they started to like get rid of the the pool and get that all out of the way and they were collecting all the blood clots and I was like oh my god like there's so many and then um I looked and they were like okay we're going to start to look at your perineum now to see if you've got any tearing and I was like that's fine that's fine they were so gentle and so beautiful and they were just like really like telling me what they were doing and I'm just sitting there on the couch like you know, just completely relaxed. And they're like, okay, yep, you've got a little graze and you've got a second degree tear. Um, And they were discussing whether or not they would give it a stitch or not. And then I all of a sudden felt really faint. And I was like, oh, hang on. Can you just stop talking about it for a sec? Because I think it's making me feel really faint. And they're like, oh, okay. Um, That's okay. That's fine. So they just stopped. And then I was like, actually, I think I'm going to be sick. And so um, someone gave me a vomit bag and I dry reached and then with that exertion of me dry reaching, I then expelled about another 500 mil of blood. Um, and so as soon as that happened, Meg was like, okay, we need to call the ambulance. So Meg then called QAS straight away and um, and basically was an absolute champ, um, stayed super calm, but she, she was on the phone to the ambulance. She was also... Um, at the same time putting a like what the midwives then did just blew me away in terms of the skills that they just use like obviously they and I debriefed a lot with them after but what they do is like obviously they want to sit around and and watch a physiological beautiful birth happen and they don't want to have to do much Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know like in terms of like they want it all to happen but when they have to use their skills in the way that they had to with me, they were like, like they were just so sharp and so onto it. And they were just like ninjas. And I am so thankful that I had them there. Um, and so, yeah, so they called the ambulance and within that time, so they called the ambulance at 1am. The ambulance came at 1.09. So in that nine minutes, Meg had put a, um, um, a drip and gave me fluids Um, and was like pushing forwards through me because obviously I'd lost so much so much liquid so much blood Um, they'd given me another injection of like a different medication um, that was even stronger which is all always in their backup like as home birth midwives they always bring this stuff they gave me oxygen and then Emma also put a catheter in in case that was like impeding things Um, and so they did all those things at once and essentially like I was completely like and they were monitoring me so they were monitoring my um my heart rate they were monitoring my blood pressure my blood pressure did go really low because I went I obviously had a lot of fluid that um drained from my body but um I I was I was okay like the whole time I knew in my mind I was okay I did apparently go quite white obviously and I felt like a bit out of it but I was I was like no I'm okay though and they were like are you okay you know and so, by the time the ambulance came, there was two ambulances that came and seven paramedics rocked up. Yeah. Um, and when they walked into the door, walked in through the door, like I was, oh, I was not okay. I was not one hundred percent okay. But I felt like, oh no, I'm I'm okay. Like, um, and so essentially from then, they, I went, I got transported off into the ambulance. But after that, like. When I went, I went via ambulance to the hospital. They they didn't do anything else. They just monitored me because nothing else needed to be done. And I just share this because obviously, when you choose to birth at home, you are obvi- you are always you know uh, you know you, you know about all the the reasons for for transfer, and you know that these things can happen. And of course, I knew about postpartum hemorrhage, and I was very well aware of what could potentially happen. I didn't, to be honest, didn't think it would happen to me because I had literally zero risk factors like i i had zero and and meg was so perplexed as to why it did happen and she's we still don't really know apart from the big um surface error of my placenta but she said these things happen and may agrees like these things do happen and when they do happen they just need to be acted upon quickly which yeah. is exactly what happened and the exact same thing would have happened if i was was in a hospital
0: yeah
1: um but those midwives just handled it just with such grace and Mm. such there were such little ninjas and I'm just so um it was just such a it was a a weird experience because it was like the most beautiful best time of my life and then it was like everything just vanished around that for a second and I had to go to hospital in the exact place that I didn't want to go to Mm. (laughs) Um, and and I ended up there and and being with um, – and I stayed there for the day and they monitored me, but they ended up not doing anything. They checked my bloods and I was okay. I didn't need anything like a blood transfusion or anything like that. They gave me one more bag of fluid, but that's it. Um, so, yeah. Was Ruby with you? She was. She didn't get to come with me in the ambulance, which was a real – like that. I was really um, – annoyed and quite mad about that and i was at the time saying can ruby come with me and they were saying they couldn't um transport her because they didn't have a a capsule and it was unsafe i guess because i was so out of it that like and she was obviously not attached to me anymore but brandon had to like mum mum and anita the photographer packed me a bag, dressed Ruby, Brandon then put her in the car. She was like two hours old and then he, he followed us up to the hospital. So it was definitely not the ending that I wanted out of my home birth experience, but I think it did teach me um, a a few different lessons. Mm. Um,
0: And I mean, I think it is really important that you've acknowledged that because Shit happens sometimes, even in home births, but your story is a testament to even when yep. unplanned things happen, yep. you're still safe, you know? I was yeah,
1: I was safe. And and I felt like within me, and I've talked about this a lot with Mayette too, like within myself I actually felt safe and I mm. felt like I was fine. Yeah. Um and so it was probably more scary for those around me, like mm-hmm. my mom and Brandon, when they saw that happen, but like it was honestly yeah, it was like, it was um, quite an experience. And I just wanted to end with um, one more thing that happened in the hospital, which is I think why, why maybe I had this experience. And that is that obviously I didn't get stitched up or anything when, because I, all that happened. Um, But I ended up choosing and opting for stitches um, for my second degree tear. And um, I had the most horrific experience Mm. um with that in the hospital and so I had an obstetrician that was just he he was a male and he was just very egotistical and he was just Mm. he had no bedside manner and just no like I cried throughout the whole procedure and he had no idea like just no idea how to handle himself and he was just chatting with the midwife about just silly things and then he says to the midwife because it's a it's a teaching hospital, and he says um, he goes into teacher mode with her and starts saying, "Oh, you should have told me you wanted to learn suturing, and you could have done this one, and I could have and I could have just watched you." And I was like, "Well, hmm. well like thankfully that hasn't happened." And then he's yeah. suturing me, and he goes, "Oh, can you see the mistake I just made here?" Oh my god! To the midwife, and wow. I was like, "Are you joking? Have you, you're sewing up my vagina, and you just yeah. told me that." You've made a mistake. And he goes, oh, no, 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 no. I just threw the stitch in the wrong direction. But, like, the words that he said to me, like, I would, like, Brandon, my husband, had to intervene a couple of times saying, like, can you please not use those words? Can you please stop talking? Can you please, you know? And then he goes with the greys, he goes, I recommend stitching this as well. And I said, no, thank you. I've already discussed this with my midwives and I don't want that stitched. And he goes, I really suggest that we do because of blah, 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 blah. He had to – I had to say no four times before he actually took it and he, I reckon he only took it because Brandon had to say, hey, mate, she said no. She said, please stop the procedure.
0: It's just so concerning when you hear stories like that because I immediately think about the women who have walked in completely blind and don't have the education to back up their choices. Oh, they would just completely succumb to someone like that, oh, you know. It, was, it makes me so mad.
1: The experience in the hospital, it like it's funny because I tried so hard to avoid all of that, yet I ended up back there. Obviously it needed to happen that way yeah. and I fully, you know, that's so okay, but that experience with the with the doctor obviously like it traumatized me and i'm still working through it like it took me weeks before i could actually tell this that part of the story without crying and i think that it's just like women are being treated like this every day and for me to have such a highlight to such a low light of my birth experience and to be treated the way from what i was held in this feminine beautiful warm energy and held and supported in my own home and felt so good to then going to the hospital and feeling like a number. I felt like a piece of meat. I felt like he was so rough with me as he was stitching me up and my legs were in stirrups and they were shining that light down there. And I know that that's the procedure and it has to be done, but I was just like – all I could think about was if if my midwives were doing this in my own home, they would have been so gentle and it would have been such a different experience. And obviously I couldn't change that, but mm. I just like had to go through a grieving process around that, around not being able to be tucked back into bed straight away, yeah. not having to, you know, not having my beautiful post birth shower that I wanted. Instead, I had a, sh- a hospital shower with my hair tied up in a rubber band and bleeding everywhere and mm. my um, and having to use – I didn't have any soap or anything, so I had to use the friggin' hand soap that they had in the hospital, like, to wash my body post-birth. Like, you know, these things that happened to me, I'm like, I have definitely grieved, but I also – it has really ignited a fire within me to – I don't know, like, I'm just – I don't know exactly what I'll do with it, but I know that I experienced that all for a reason.
0: Yeah. I totally agree with you on that. But also I'm, I'm really sorry that you had to go through that.
1: Yeah. It's, it was really, it was really hard, but, um, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I have worked and, and continuing to work through it because I think with, with these things like time also is really influential with how you make sense of your experience and, I know that I'm going to, I haven't done any body work yet, like any energy work, but I will because I know that my body will be carrying that memory, um, and, and so, yeah, I think that, like, it's just funny. Like, I have experienced such an array of experiences in birth, right? Like, mm-hmm. I've had my emergency C-section, I've had my beautiful home birth, and I've had this traumatic experience in, in a hospital where I didn't want to be as well. So I feel like, if anything, I can really just empathise with other women yeah. um, when they do tell their stories to me because I've, I've been through a lot of different experiences when it comes to birth.
0: Mm. And that's such a powerful insight to have, Mm. especially doing the work that you do. Well, it has been such a joy to hear from you today, Emma. Thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your stories with us.
1: No worries. I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: That brings us to the end of today's episode. What a beautiful story and such an incredible um, I obviously deeply resonated with Emma's experience of podromal labor. It can be such a whirlwind, especially for first-time mothers. If you're seeking support or guidance, I highly recommend exploring all the offerings over at Maya Mothers Collective. They provide a wealth of knowledge for mothers in all seasons of life. For, the, for more details, check out the show notes. You can find all the details you need in the show notes. I would love to hear your thoughts on today's episode, so please share them over on the PBA Instagram. And if you found this episode meaningful, consider sharing it with a friend or leaving a review on your podcast platform. This helps us to grow and spread the power of storytelling. Thank you so much for tuning in. I look forward to reconnecting with you next week for another episode of Positive Birth Australia.